And and how would you, I guess, characterize the the mood in the country right now? It feels pretty tense. Uh, when you hear people talking about civil war, when you hear ministers calling on police to crack down on people, there's a lot of potential uh, for trouble. I mean, Joseph Betterman is the news director of the Associated Press for Israel, the Palestinian territories, and Jordan. He spoke to us from Jerusalem. And the big test, I think the first test we're going to see this weekend, uh, Saturday night, a very large demonstration uh, is planned in Tel Aviv. And we're going to see how the police behave. Are they going to go out and start using water cannons? Are they going to arrest people? Or are they going to let this thing uh, pass uh, peacefully? Israel's new far-right government is led by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. His sixth term in the job, even though he's facing corruption charges. And the mood is tense because Netanyahu's government has proposed some big changes including overriding the country's Supreme Court. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Joseph, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks for having me on again. So Israel's new government was sworn in just over two weeks ago on December 29th. Uh, and since then, there have been a number of, of controversial changes uh, and incidents that have happened as well. But just to give us kind of one key example, maybe, can, can you tell us what happened this week? The government already, uh, one week into power, has announced plans for a massive uh, overhaul of the legal system. Uh, they think the legal system is uh, too liberal. It has too much power, and they want to move power uh, back into the hands of parliament uh, and, and the prime minister. That's where most of the action is. That's translated already into a few things. The new police minister, or the national security minister who's in charge of the police, uh, has already announced a ban on displays of the Palestinian flag. He has ordered police to act uh, much tougher against uh, demonstrations, which we've already begun uh, to see. And you see very uh, heightened, uh, charged rhetoric between both of the sides to the point where uh, some of the opposition members are accusing Prime Minister Netanyahu of dragging the country uh, towards civil war. Wow. So just in two weeks, lots of fireworks. And this new government is is being called the most far-right government in Israel's 74-year history. Uh, so, so what makes this government so extreme? Well, you have to start with Prime Minister Netanyahu. He leads uh, the Likud uh, government. I'm American. I think in, of, in American terms, the Likud is sort of Israel's version of the Republican Party. So you're already starting on the right-wing conservative uh, world outlook. But in this government, the Likud is the moderator. They are the most moderate element uh, of the government. So he has joined forces. To The way it works here, you need to control the ma uh, majority of seats in parliament. And to get that majority, he needed to align himself with ultra-Orthodox uh, religious parties that have a very conservative uh, social agenda and ultra-nationalist uh, parties uh, affiliated really with the far, far right of the West Bank settlement movement. Can you give me an example of the, the partners we're talking about here? So you're saying that he's aligned himself with more ultra-Orthodox partners further to the right. Who's an example, I guess, of, of one of the more extreme figures here? Yeah, I think the poster boy uh, for this whole thing is the new national security minister who I already mentioned. His name is Itamar Ben-Gvir. Uh, and he's a well-known figure in Israel because he's had so much trouble uh, in the past. He was sort of beyond the pale. 
uh, in the past. He is known as a real extreme kind of uh, provocateur connected to the, uh, the settlement and, and uh, nationalist movement. He has a long police record. He's been arrested uh, dozens of times over the years. And in 2007, he was even convicted. He was convicted of incitement and supporting a Jewish terrorist group. Even on the campaign trail uh, last year, or I think before we went to the campaign trail, there was an incident uh, where he uh, pulled into a parking lot in uh, Tel Aviv and uh, the Arab attendant told him he was not parked properly and wanted him to move his car. And it turned into an incident where he started screaming at the attendant and literally pulled out a gun and, and brandished a pistol. Whoa. But that's the kind of ideology uh, that he brings to the table. His partner, uh, the actual uh, the, the uh, leader of his party, which is called Religious Zionism, is also another very hardline uh, settler leader who also is very outspoken in his animosity toward LGBTQ rights. Mm -hmm. And as another example, about a decade ago, maybe a little more than a decade, uh, Jerusalem has an annual pride parade, and his partner, his name uh, is Betzalel uh, Smotrich, showed up and did a counter-protest and brought donkeys with him. He called it the Wild Beast Parade to send a message uh, to the protesters. Now, he later apologized. He later apologized for that, but that's still something that, uh, that everybody remembers about him. And as a national security minister, this is the first person ever to hold this uh, role. He is responsible for the national police force. That gives him influence. Uh, he's giving orders to the police on how to handle these demonstrations that we're expecting to see uh, this weekend. He's also in charge of a paramilitary force called the Border Police. The Border Police are the force that's often on the front lines when there are clashes and confrontations with Palestinians, both in Jerusalem and in the West Bank. So Ben Gvir has two very important roles here. He's in charge of the National Police, dealing with Israeli uh, unrest, demonstrations, disturbances, but also this paramilitary force that deals with the Palestinians. So there's great potential on both sides for things to escalate and even to become violent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I just want to ask you, you said a, a settler leader there. Could you just explain for, for an audience that maybe isn't so well versed in this, uh, Joe, w when you're talking about settler, what does that mean? Yeah, so Israel uh, captured uh, what's known as the Occupied Territories. It captured the West Bank. It captured East Jerusalem. It captured the Gaza Strip uh, in the 1967 Middle East War. And when you talk about settlers, really you're talking mostly uh, about the West Bank because uh, the West Bank is technically, it's not sovereign Israeli territory. It is occupied territory in the eyes of most of the world. Israel says it is disputed territory. Uh, you can choose which term you prefer, but it is not sovereign Israeli territory. But in the meantime, Israel wants to keep large chunks, if not all of this territory, and over the past 50 plus years has been settling its own people there. And uh, it's reached the point where there are now roughly half a million Israelis living in the West Bank in uh, settlements. Mm. Now, the Palestinians want the West Bank as the heartland of their own state. And they say that Israel keeps on building these settlements. It makes it harder and harder. When you have about two and a half to three million Palestinians, but you have half a million Israelis living among them in dozens and dozens of settlements uh, spread across the territory, it makes it very hard to ever divide up that territory and uh, create uh, an independent Palestinian state. All right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of controversial moves that this 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 government uh, is, is potentially putting forward here. But one of the most controversial is is a plan to overhaul the country's justice system. Can you explain what that means? 
Sure. The, uh, I think you want to start with Prime Minister Netanyahu himself. Netanyahu has a very tortured relationship with the uh, country's justice system right now. He has been on trial for over two years uh, on corruption charges. It's a very slow-moving uh, trial. And he believes the entire system is biased against him. He believes he is the victim. He calls it a witch hunt, a conspiracy, whatever word you want to use, uh, but that the system has been out to get him. And uh, he and his allies, and he has appointed a justice minister who's very close to him, want to just overhaul the entire system, and they want greater control uh, over uh, who the judges are and what authority uh, the judges are. The most controversial thing they want to do, uh, they call it an override clause. They want to give Parliament uh, the power to overturn any Supreme Court decision uh, that they don't like wow. uh, with a simple majority. So now that they have the majority in Parliament, if they pass this, uh, they will be able uh, to basically push, push through uh, their agenda without any pushback uh, from the justices. I mean, that's, that seems very like a, a big drastic move there because they would essentially be going over the Supreme Court. Uh, and just so we in Canada can understand, because we have a Supreme Court too, does the Israeli Supreme Court work like ours where it's an independent court that has kind of final say over things? Yes. So there have been many decisions over the years that uh, the Israeli right wing uh, doesn't like. About a decade ago, um, you know, the, uh, Israel uh, has an issue with African migrants, people who have made their way through Egypt, uh, escaping conflict, ex uh, uh, looking for job opportunities, maybe hoping to make their way to Europe or whatever. But there are roughly, I think, about 40,000 migrants, mostly from Eritrea, from Sudan, a few other African countries. And uh, Israel, and especially the Israeli right wing, does not want them here. Uh, and they have been trying for years um, now because of international law, because they've applied for refugee status and so forth. You can't just round people up and, and uh, deport them back uh, to their countries of origin. It's more complicated than that. So about a decade ago, Israel opened a detention facility. They decided they would round people up and put them in this detention facility uh, indefinitely. The Supreme Court intervened. They decided you could not do this, and eventually that facility uh, was was closed. Mm. Um, so that's the type of thing that they would be able to override. I'm curious, what, what does the Israeli public think about this? Well, that's really the root of what we talked about when we started. Uh, you don't see much of a debate anymore about the Palestinians and the territories and the settlements. What you do see is a huge debate now over uh, this uh, judicial overhaul because the critics, and there are many, say, uh, you know, you're demolishing a system of checks and balances. You're demolishing a very fragile uh, democracy. And that's why you see people, it's not just human rights groups, it's not just civil society groups. They were kind of leading the charge when this is more theoretical. Now you see uh, Yair Lapid, who a month ago was still prime minister. He's now the opposition leader. He's leading the charge. Benny Gantz, who's a former defense minister, uh, as you know, a month ago, he was the defense minister. He's a former military chief of staff. He is no pushover. He is a very, uh, you know, tough law and order uh, career soldier. He's the one who accused Netanyahu of dragging the country to civil war. What do these potential changes to the justice system, what do they signal about the direction that, that Israel is heading? If you speak to Netanyahu and you speak to his justice minister, what they say is uh, 
nobody elected these Supreme Court justices. Why should they be telling us what to do? We're elected leaders. And the people, the people who have been uh, elected, uh, and, and the politicians who speak for the public, we should have the final say. But the critics, and like I say, it's really across the board, you hear uh, comparisons. They say, you're turning this country into Poland. You're turning this country into Hungary or Turkey. And what you've seen, if you look at those types of countries, they're still, they still have democratic elections, but the power uh, under very authoritarian uh, leaders over the past decade, two decades, has shifted. Uh, and what you see is subservient judges, uh, a weak judiciary, you see uh, weak uh, media um, and a weakened opposition. And people are worried that that type of thing is going to happen here as well. We'll be back in a minute. Okay, so we've been talking about some of the potential changes to the justice system. Uh, let's look at the laws that could be overturned here. Uh, one of the big concerns is around LGBTQ rights. What's happening there? So Israel has a pretty good track record of LGBTQ uh, rights. Um, they do not have, uh, again, there's a lot of power. It's complicated because there's a lot of power in the hands of ultra-Orthodox, uh, very conservative parties. But for the most part, Israeli society uh, is relatively tolerant. Um, there's no same-sex uh, marriage, but there are uh, sort of civil uh, unions uh, and, uh, you know, key institutions, the government, uh, even the military is very uh, uh, open when it comes, uh, you know, to, uh, to uh, gay soldiers. Uh, but what you've heard are uh, voices, and you see it actually in the guidelines of this new government. So uh, there was a, a minister who... Um, basically was calling for discrimination. She said, well, if a doctor is religious and he doesn't, uh, if something goes against his religious views, he shouldn't have to uh, treat gay patients, for example. Um, and this type of language, now Netanyahu has said he will never allow this to happen. He, to his credit, you know, he has a strong record when it comes uh, to LGBTQ rights. He says he won't let it happen yet, he allowed that language to go into these guidelines. And so there this, is are people, written, this is written down then? This is literally written, not to the point uh, where you're talking about uh, doctors, but yes, if uh, it's more general language, but yes, if something goes against somebody's uh, religious views, and another lawmaker, for example, said, well, if a hotel owner doesn't like same-sex couples, he doesn't have to let them in his hotel, for example, if that goes against his uh, religious views. This is a big test, I think, for Netanyahu, because ultimately he, what he's been saying is, I'm the boss, I decide what's going to get passed. But they're going to push him as far as they can. Um, and he's allowed it, at the minimum, to seep into the guidelines. I imagine that's, that's, all this stuff is probably sounding pretty scary for a lot of people there. Of course. So you hear uh, minority groups, uh, whether it's uh, whether it's migrants, whether you hear uh, you know speak to LGBTQ, uh, the Palestinian minority of Israel. Israel, about twenty percent of Israel's population are Arab citizens of the country. Uh, people are worried that their basic civil rights are going to be eroded. Hmm. How exactly would this judicial overhaul affect Israel's relationship with the Palestinians? Do we have a sense of that? 
really the main issue for the Palestinians is, the, you know, the policies in the West Bank. And uh, I, again, if we go back to these guidelines, the very first thing you see in there is a commitment to expanding settlements, uh, to legalizing. There are dozens and dozens of small, tiny, they call them outposts that were built illegally. This government is committed to legalizing all of these outposts as well. And, um, and what difference then, Joe, would would legalizing them make if the outposts are already there, just illegal? Like, what difference would legalizing them actually have? A couple things. It first of all, it sends a message uh, of the the sentiment in the country. But these outs- outposts are also very strategically located. So what often what you often see is there is a settlement uh, in the middle of nowhere, for example, and then some supporters will build an outpost three hundred meters half a kilometer up the road. Once that becomes legalized, everything in between kind of becomes linked and these outposts end up becoming new neighborhoods of existing settlements. So it's another way of expanding not only the settler population, but also expanding the amount of land that's controlled by settlers. So Benjamin Netanyahu is is currently on trial for corruption, uh, as you mentioned earlier. He's charged with bribery, fraud, and breach of trust in three different cases. Uh, he denies the allegations against him. But would overhauling the justice system have have any effect on his trial? Absolutely, and that that's really the most important thing here, uh, because his partners, not necessarily the Supreme Court uh, changes. That's another area uh, that they're they're fighting. But some of the other changes they're talking about is they want to wipe wipe away uh, some of these charges. They want, for example, breach of trust. Uh, There are many figures in this coalition who say, breach of trust, what is that? It doesn't really make sense. It shouldn't even be a crime. So they want to abolish that that charge. If that goes away, then part of the trial goes away. So the idea is let's get rid of the charge and therefore he can't be charged with it? Yes, that's part of that's one of the ideas they're talking about. Another thing they're talking about is uh, finding a way to either sack or force the attorney general out of office and install a much friendlier attorney general who's going to say, you know what, this whole case uh, is flimsy. They never should have uh, charged him to begin with. I dismiss it. They may find a way to freeze the trial indefinitely, and it will just kind of uh, float away over time. So there are all sorts of ideas that are uh, bouncing around, and his partners support all of these things. And that's why he has been so generous in giving them uh, so much uh, authority. Wow. And even with these charges that are, even when he's facing these charges, he can still sit as as prime minister in the Knesset, in the, in the parliament? Yeah, that that is one of the flukes of uh, the law here. If uh, a cabinet minister, a regular cabinet minister is charged with a crime, they have to, uh, they have to step aside. That doesn't apply to the prime minister. Hmm. So he can, unless he is convicted, he can uh, continue uh, to be prime minister. Is there any chance that this government uh, might back away from some of their hardline policies? Is that an option? I think U.S. opinion does matter. Uh, I don't think they can stop everything, uh, but they certainly can restrain things. And then another interesting thing to keep our eyes on are Israel's new Arab allies. In 2020, during the Trump administration, there were these uh, the Abraham Accords, four diplomatic accords 
establishing uh, relations with, with four Arab countries that did not have uh, full relations with Israel at the time. The biggest one is the United Arab Emirates. That's, that's the biggie. Israel has very warm relations with the UAE right now. Netanyahu wants to, he talks about expanding, he calls it the circle of peace. His dream is to bring in Saudi Arabia, which is the most powerful uh, Arab country uh, in the Gulf, very wealthy, powerful country. If they push ahead with this agenda, it will become difficult uh, to bring in Saudi Arabia, and it could even become difficult to maintain the relationships with countries like the UAE, just because of public opinion uh, in the Arab world. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir, for example, I'll give you uh, an example. One of the first things he did days after uh, taking office is that he paid a visit to uh, uh, the, the, Jerusalem's most sensitive uh, holy site. It is revered by the Jews, but today it's home to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is a very important uh, site in Islam. It's a very important site to the Palestinians. And he went up there kind of in a show of force uh, two or three days after taking office. Now, the visit was legal. He didn't do anything illegal. But it was seen as a provocation because the type of message that he was trying to send, that we're in charge here. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, the Palestinians feel very threatened because they think that there is a plot underway to either uh, divide up the site or even take it over at some point. And what you saw immediately after that visit, the UAE spoke out against it and said, hey, this was not a good idea. So... Long answer to your question, but Israel's new Arab allies, which are very important to Netanyahu, they could play a role in restraining this government. Making these kinds of changes to the justice system is, of course, a big deal here. When do we actually expect these reforms to start happening? They've already begun uh, drawing up the legislation. It's expected uh, to be uh, submitted in the coming weeks. And uh, there have been reports where they want to start implementing things uh, as soon as March. And when the uh, justice minister announced this overhaul, he said, this is just the first stage. He has other things in mind. I don't know what they are yet, mm. uh, but this is just the beginning. Huh. Uh, just, just lastly here, Joe, uh, Israel has had five elections in less than four years. Uh, and, and those previous governments that were formed, they didn't last long. So will this government, this coalition that's been formed now, will it actually last? It seems like it will. We've already seen opinion polls. One TV station with a, one of the top pollsters in the country, he ran a poll about a week ago, and they asked people, if we had another election, how would you vote? And it showed that we'd end up with deadlock again. It, uh, polls have shown that most Israelis don't like the overhaul of the Supreme Court. They don't like uh, some of these things uh, when it comes to religious uh, coercion and so forth. So they have a lot to lose. Uh, to go back uh, to another election. So the, it seems that it should be able to last. Coalitions do have a habit of falling apart before their full four-year term. Um, but this is not the same type of thing that we saw in the previous times where we saw very short-lived coalitions. There's a lot of glue keeping these guys together. Uh, and it, uh, you know, it seems like, at least for the medium term, they're going to be able uh, to push ahead. Joe, thank you so much for, for taking the time to walk us through this today. Thank you. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.